As some of you may know, I, I issued a statement um, shortly before this press conference um, because I thought there was a lot of misunderstanding out there about our position. Welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. On this episode, we're going to talk about the NBA China Hong Kong saga that's been unfolding these past couple of weeks. Uh, towards the end of the podcast, I want to have a kind of a quick fire round of questions about some other major national news stories happening. I've been captivated by the NBA situation, uh, first of all, because I'm an NBA fan, huge Phoenix Suns fan. Uh, <clears throat> second, I've been following the Hong Kong story uh, for a while, been rooting for the Hong Kong protesters. Uh, their strategy and spirit reminds me of American colonists and their struggle for self-government from the British. And they're also appealing to the, to the U.S. for support. They're waving American flags. They're singing our national anthem uh, at gatherings. So I just want to uh, just go through a quick timeline for uh, folks that might not have been following that closely of what's going on and then get into some of the political situations with China and Hong Kong and, and how this might affect the NBA brand and maybe bigger picture about the relationship of corporate America with countries like China. Um, <clears throat> so two weeks ago, the Houston Rockets general manager, Daryl Morey, tweeted out an image that says, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. And the Rockets are huge in China. Um, they used to have a player, Yao Ming, who was Chinese, that was uh, a big sell in China. The NBA has been nurturing a relationship with China uh, for decades now. And the first impression I got was that uh, the league was kind of backtracking from Maury's statement. So he deleted the tweet. He uh, expressed regret in, in follow-up tweets for that statement, saying it didn't reflect the Rockets or the league. The Rockets owner distanced himself from the tweets and the NBA put out a kind of a conflicting statement at first, uh, saying they supported free speech. But then, in the one the, the statement they put out in China was a different version of it that seemed more apologetic than the one they put out in the English version. At the time, the NBA happened to be playing a, a preseason game in China uh, and, and Japan, and there was also uh, videos that came out of. Um, NBA fans getting their, their signs taken away in, in arenas, uh, not only in, in, uh, in Asia, but also in America. Uh, league officials, Adam Silver is the commissioner of the NBA. He's the voice you heard at the beginning. He did a follow-up press conference where he kind of walked the tightrope and, and reiterated, confirmed that Daryl Morey and all of his employees have the right to free expression. They would not punish anyone for expressing their views and that they would live with the consequences as a league for any economic fallout or whatever that their employees said. And while this was going on, some Chinese officials were pulling at uh, preseason games off their schedules. Uh, the Rockets were completely blacklisted from uh, from Chinese newscasts. Um, sponsors were Chinese sponsors were evoking their connection with the league, and some reporting is already showing that some teams are preparing for the possibility of up to a 15% reduction in in salary cap for 
next year. So let's start with, uh, if you could just maybe add some context for this politically in, in China, because I think we hear, you know, it's a communist regime, it's an authoritarian country, but they also have open markets, free markets. How does, how does that work in China? They, they have markets, um, but I would not say that they are necessarily open and, and free. Uh, there was once hope uh, that economic liberalization in China would lead to um, political uh, liberalization as well. Under uh, Premier Xi, um, that hope has been completely extinguished. Uh, he has restored the central role of the Communist Party in everything dealing with uh, Chinese uh, business and society and culture uh, and uh, has strengthened the role of the Communist Party in private business. Um, there's really no such thing as a private company in China. All Chinese companies have to have a party committee within them, and that party committee has a say over personnel decisions and other key corporate decisions. Um, under Xi, there has also been pressure for U.S. companies and other foreign companies doing business in China to also put a party committee uh, within their uh, management structure um, with comparable uh, power. Um, so while... Uh, the Chinese do use markets uh, to um, make some resource allocation decisions. They're not like the Soviets, where you have government bureaucrats deciding how many shoes to make. Uh, uh, you, you, you do have market forces at work doing that. Um, it is mostly uh, state-controlled capitalism, uh, uh, and uh, the centrality of the Communist Party is not open to discussion or challenge. And that, that situation is why one tweet from one general manager can cause a whole product to disappear from the Chinese market. Um, so, and, and things like we would understand of, of due process with, with trials doesn't exist there? Well, no, and this is part of what it triggered, the controversy in Hong Kong. Um, Hong Kong, when it was under uh, British rule, uh, was an economic miracle. Um, it's a small city-state. Uh, it has no natural resources, um, but it truly pursued free market capitalism, and achieved one of the highest standards of living in the world. And it enjoyed uh, the British rule of law uh, and um, civil liberties. Uh, so uh, the British in the 1990s agreed to turn Hong Kong over to China. Uh, but the agreement was for a long period of time, I think it is supposed to expire in the 2040s, uh, there, the independence of Hong Kong and uh, its free market capitalism and rule of law would be maintained. It was supposedly 
uh, one country, two systems was the formation that was used. Well, under Xi, there's been an attempt to undermine that. And uh, there isn't a trust of the Chinese um, mainline uh, China judicial system uh, because uh, it is expressly subservient to the Communist Party, like every other organization, governmental or otherwise, in China. And there was a bill that was introduced in the Hong Kong parliament uh, to say that people could be extradited from Hong Kong and tried in mainline China. Which means that they get convicted of a crime in Hong Kong, they could be sent to China. No, not convicted. Or accused of a crime. Accused of a crime in mainland China. Uh, They could be extradited and um, adjudicated in mainline China. China. And, and that was a, there have been some Hong Kong residents uh, who have been uh, dissenters or critics of the mainland uh, Chinese government who have been abducted and disappeared. Uh, and so this, uh, th- this was a direct threat to the rule of law and civil liberties that Hong Kong residents had always enjoyed and were promised to retain at least into the 2040s uh, under the transference that occurred um, between the British and the Chinese. And they have a they have a govern, governor uh, in Hong Kong that's that's almost like appointed by the, the Chinese or what? Because they, they won, they, they did get the revocation of that extradition law, but there are a few more demands. I know they're not uh, demanding complete independence like like um, American colonists were in their Declaration of Independence. Uh, exactly, right? But well, there, there are, there's increasing calls for that, but that wasn't where it was. The, the, the political leadership in Hong Kong... Um, is basically approved by the Communist Party in uh, mainland uh, China. Uh, there's a limit on who can run, uh, and you have to, when you are uh, inducted into office, um, pledge fealty to mainland uh, China. So there's a suppression of views. Um, this is contrary to what was promised in the treaty, which was to allow Hong Kong to be self-governing. The uh, mainland uh, Chinese are now controlling um, the politics of Hong Kong, and and the people of Hong Kong, um, seeing this threat, uh, have risen up. Now, what are their ambitions? And I think that's at this point difficult to, to tell because there's there's been there is no trust uh, in any promises uh, that the Xi regime uh, would make about respecting the civil liberties and independence political independence of Hong Kong, and Xi has made clear uh, that his intent is to incorporate. Uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan um, completely uh, into mainline China uh, under under his <laughs> control and leadership. And there's also um, almost like prison camps, right, for in China of uh, ethnic and religious groups. 
um, a, a group of uh, a sect of, of Muslims in the northern part of the country is um, being incarcerated by the hundreds of thousands, if not the millions, in re-education camps uh, trying to eradicate uh, their uh, ethnic allegiances and to turn them into pliant um, supporters of the Communist Party. It's, it is the largest violation of um, human rights uh, occurring on the planet as we speak. That's kind of hard to like wrap your mind around. I know that I had been aware of that and even the complications of the MBA's relationship with China. Slate wrote uh, uh, an article because the MBA has a training camp in, in China that's, that's located pretty close to, to some of those, some of those camps. So it's, you know, as a, as an MBA fan, it's, it's like, it's, to me, it's always been kind of like, you know, kind of, kind of like the fact that my podcast equipment here is made in China and, and a lot of other, uh, you didn't <laughs> tell me that when we started doing this podcast, <laughs> you know, a lot of our, a lot of our things are made in China. I think there's a, there's a, there's a complicated moral, Connection with consumerism and our in our relationship with uh, with those countries, but I I think to me and I think a lot of other people, just the just the stark contrast between what Hong Kong is fighting for and which is exactly what we stand for in America, and uh, someone expressing free speech, supporting that, which is what we're all about in America, and seeing that immediately punished in China. You know, just this stark confrontation, and the response of the MBA uh, personnel uh, was backtracking immediately. And I think Adam Silver tried to be like diplomatic about it uh, and and to affirm both, but it's just I don't know. It's just kind of hard to affirm both. And I know I don't know. It's it's tough. How do you how do you affirm both when such a stark confrontation of, of uh, societal and, and, and government political I, values? I, I don't think it is any longer possible. Um, before she, I, I think there was reason to trade with China, reason to have relationships with China, uh, in hopes that its economic liberalization would continue and that that would lead to. Um, some greater um, political liberalization. And prior to Xi, there was actually some of that occurring, some election of local councils and, and things like that. Um, under Xi, it's just impossible. I mean, he, and, and, and he, it's not something that you have to divine or, or um, figure out from what he's doing. It's what he has said explicitly. He, he has a plan for China, and that plan includes... Uh, restoring the centrality of the Communist Party in all things and retaining a strong authoritarian grip uh, on all civil liberties and destroying um, the independence and democratic uh, governance of Hong Kong and Taiwan. That's, that's his publicly stated uh, approach. And that might be... Uh 
you know, if people are th- think when people are trying to, to, to justify the NBA stance or to try to at least, you know, play the role of, well, this is just sports, this is just business, why should you expect them to get to get involved with this? I think a, a good, that's a good perspective to keep in mind is there was a long time where maybe there was an opportunity to to make inroads there, to open up their society and to have mutual relationships. But that you know, recent developments is 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 that, that that's not happening and that even the opposite's happening. And maybe even China is trying to export its authoritarian, you know, style. Uh, I, I, I don't think it represents a Soviet-style expansionist um, threat. I don't think, for, for example, it wants to remake Japan in its mm-hmm. image. Um, but it does want to destroy the two Chinese uh, bastions of um, democratic capitalism uh, and incorporate them into uh, their approach. And it wants to see its near neighbors um, to lose their independence of action on foreign policy. So while they don't want to remake Japan in their in their own image, um, they do want to emasculate Japan uh, and from a foreign policy and a military standpoint. Um, so uh, this is why I, although I'm an ardent free trader uh, and oppose. <laughs> All the tariffs that uh, Trump has imposed on everybody else, I believe that we need to try to insulate the U.S. economy to the extent possible um, from interactions with China because there just isn't any such thing as a um, private company there. Uh, There's no such thing as free trade with China. Uh, And it's big enough um, that it poses a threat that other state-controlled capitalist systems didn't in the past. And unlike other systems, like South Korea, I don't think there's any prospect that as South Korea did, uh, that as it transitioned from an export-oriented economy to a consumer-oriented economy, uh, that China will become a democracy the way that South Korea did. So this isn't the only NBA is not the only company that's that's dealing with this. Uh, even uh, my little brother Danny, uh, who's been on this podcast a couple times, um, he is a World of Warcraft player, and and that's owned by the company Blizzard. And they had a very similar situation where uh, someone who had won a a tournament or something said, "Was a Hong Konger? Was from Hong Kong?" made a supportive statement about the protest and was that his purse revoked and was banned for, for a year. And, and, and he, Danny was kind of in the same emotional situation that I've been with the NBA of, man, I love this product. It's, it's, it's a, I, I love following it. I love participating in conversations about it, but it just, it just doesn't sit right when they are seeming to side with, uh, China, uh, in order to keep their, uh, their mark, their their profits there. So, do corporations do you th- and and app you know Apple's uh, kind of got involved with this too. Of they had a they had took an app out of their app store that Hong Kong protesters were using for as part of their organization uh, tools. So, do you think corporations have a responsibility to uphold American values 
in doing business with places like China? Should the MBA say, no, we're, we're, we support Hong Kong and we're going to cut off business ties to China? Um, I'm reluctant to uh, say um, yes unequivocally. I mean, the businesses exist to make money on behalf of their stockholders. They're, they're not political organizations. They're not instruments of uh, U.S. foreign policy. Um, I uh, do think um, that uh, there needs to be a greater awareness of the consequences of doing business in uh, China and a recognition that you're unlikely to be a long-term winner. Uh, China is not open to foreign investment. Um, U.S. companies under Xi will never get a fair shake. Um, so, I mean, it's a little different for the MBA where you're making huge sums of money off of broadcast rights and selling merchandise. And, and now the, and now and, the, and the Chinese can't create the MBA, right? But for all other American businesses, um, China steals their technology all the time and, and favors, uh, local competitors, subsidizes them in competition elsewhere. Um, so, um, I think if, corporations are looking after the long-term interest of their shareholders, they would be uh, less eager uh, to do uh, business in China. And I hope that there would be a reputational backlash in the United States uh, for companies that um, become complicit uh, in, yeah. like, like Apple. I mean, I, Apple is now complicit in, in the... Uh, attempts to suppress the protests in in Hong Kong. The MBA isn't complicit, it's just idiotic. It 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 it's foolhardy. Um, and I uh, it ought to I don't know that it will, but it ought to inflict uh, reputational damage where people like us say, you know, I just don't know that this is something I want to spend my time and money on. And the and the brand it's 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 especially damaging, I think, in the NBA because of the brand that they had been cultivating, and a lot of players have been cultivating as well. People are in the NBA are becoming their own brands. They're marketing their own products. LeBron James is is making a movie, you know, that that is looking to, you know, market in all different different places. But part of the NBA's brand and and pl some players like LeBron James's brand has been socially conscious and um, in favor of social justice and, and political, overtly political and willing to stand up for, for things that they, that they believe in. And um, this seems to be just undermining all, all of that that they've, that they've built. Well, as, as you know, I, I was an avid Phoenix Suns fan as well and, and watched most virtually all the games every season. Um, but in addition to the Suns getting to be very, very bad, uh, but in combination with the NBA becoming more overtly political, political uh, it just kind of turned me off. I mean, I, I spend enough time on, on politics. I, when I turn to basketball, I'm looking for a diversion uh, right. from politics. So their brand got damaged with me 
from the step that you described. What's occurred, what the NBA has done with respect to Hong Kong and China, just demonstrates that that was a purely uh, act of hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, that, that there was uh, no true conviction in it. Uh, you just can't take and offense if, at the things that they've taken offense at at the U.S. and then turn a blind eye to uh, the incarceration of, of hundreds, if not millions, of Muslims and uh, an attempt to take away freedom and liberty from the people of Hong Kong. Yeah, and even if, it was, even if their stances are, are genuine here, it just shows you – because I think they are – I think – I think Steve Kerr does want to limit. I think he does care about gun control. I think LeBron James does care about education and uh, issues of justice in, in the United States. But I think it just shows that there's a price to that. And and there's there's a line that you won't cross if there's enough money attached to it. You know, and, and, and they're kind of hiding behind not knowing about the history of China or whatever, but it's just too... You don't <laughs> have to know obvious. the history of China. You just need to know what's happening on the streets of Hong Kong. Um, I mean, I, I, I think the claims of people like Steve Kerr, who's a bright guy, obviously follows things, uh, to not know enough to opine, uh, is a dodge and pure hypocrisy. Uh, it may be that you're right, um, <laughs> that they are principled up to a certain price point, and the market in mainland China exceeded their price point. Uh, but uh, to me, that suggests that they are hypocritical. They, they don't mind offending me, because they figure there's not enough of me with what they do in domestic American politics to damage their bottom line. Um, but uh, they're um, unwilling to offend uh, mainline uh, China uh, on behalf of people who are fighting for the principles that they allegedly support. Do you think this will have uh, a negative effect on their on their bottom line uh, moving forward, or is this the kind of thing that it's just going to be two, two weeks later and now everyone's in the in the drama of the season and and it kind of gets forgotten? I suspect. Um, uh, the latter. Um, the United States is just so sports infatuated. Uh, we're not unique in that. I mean, the, the, the um, affection and, and commitment to soccer in, in uh, Europe and other parts of the world is as fanatical as uh, our support for all of our sports and increasingly soccer itself. So, uh, my guess is that this will not have uh, lasting uh, damage, but it certainly, I think, will reduce the extent to which NBA or NBA players speaking out on other political issues right. is taken seriously. Right. They, they've been exposed as hypocrites that right, won't defend their principles yeah. past a certain price it's point. Gonna be, it's going to be hard for, for that to be taken Credibly and with with the moral authority, you know, the moral authority is really cut out underneath it and all that stuff. I'm interested in whether we're going to see continued activism for for people. There, are people going to keep showing up in, in stadiums with 
with signs or they get a, a reporter going to keep asking people questions. Um, and I think it's also open-ended in, on China's end is, are they going to still open up the markets? Uh, are they going to keep show? are they going to show rockets games this season? Um, is someone going to speak out? Uh, is someone going to, going to get inspired and speak out? Maybe someone's going to make their personal brand, you know, American standing up for American values. Who knows? Let's go to a lightning round, quick fire questions uh, about some other national issues. Um, we'll start with Trump's decision to pull troops out of Syria. Many people across the political spectrum are calling this a betrayal and that uh, our allies are being slaughtered and it's going to be uh, opening up uh, not end, ending endless wars, but creating the need for more wars in the future. What are your, what's your quick reaction on? It is a betrayal of the Kurds, um, but I also think that there's a whole lot of posturing going on in the criticism because the ultimate question is, um, should the United States go to war with Turkey to protect the Kurds? I don't think many people would answer yes to that. Um, we had about 50 to 100 troops in the vicinity where the incursion was going to take place. Um, they were obviously sitting ducks. They weren't capable of doing anything to repel a uh, Turkish in invasion. Um, the question is whether, whether they would have been sufficient deterrent um, to prevent it if, if Trump had not withdrawn them. I don't think the answer to that is as obviously or easily yes as the critics are making it out to be. Is he actually ending endless wars, or is he just making excuses for letting Turkey in? Because he just increased the amount of troops going to Saudi Arabia. Um, I have no idea why anyone in the United States continues to regard Saudi Arabia as an ally. Um, and uh, Trump has bought into... Uh, the uh, neoconservative belief that uh, Iran is the threat around which all of our Middle Eastern policy uh, should be designed to thwart. Um, I think that's a mistaken notion. Uh, certainly, he removed the chances of the United States being involved in another conflict in Syria uh, he is ceding influence to the Russians, well, the Syrian government, the Russians, and Iran. Um, I don't necessarily think that that's the obvious mistake that critics are making them out to be. I don't know that we had national interest at, at stake. Quick fire question number two. Who's winning the impeachment political wars right now? Boy, I would say that it's a... It's a uh, standoff at, at present. Um, I don't think there's any question that uh, Trump urging Ukraine and then China to investigate the Bidens um, is a, a different matter, a more serious matter, and I think the Democrats gain to the extent they focus on that rather than the things that they were previously focused on. On the other hand, the way the Democrats are going about it uh, is um, improper uh, and full of holes. Uh, uh, so I, I think that, that Trump resisting, say, saying that, sorry guys, you aren't conducting an impeachment proceeding, so we 
aren't going to cede the kind of authority that you would have in it uh, is um, a sound stance. Uh, so if Democrats, I, I don't think Democrats are going about focusing on the issue in the right way, uh, and I think Republicans on process uh, are gaining the upper hand. I mean, in, <laughs> during all the other impeachment proceedings, uh, they occurred in public. Uh, the president had the right to had counsel in the room, could call witnesses, uh, could uh, interrogate, cross-examine witnesses. Um, this is all occurring behind closed doors and through public leaks. Third and final quick-fire question. There's a Democratic presidential debate happening right now. Uh, you're not watching it. Why aren't you watching it? And who do you think has the advantage right now in the Democratic race? It's just uh, tiresome and uh, uninformative uh, to listen to prepackaged platitudes uh, issued in um, small um, sound bites, which is all debates at this point permit. And I figure that I can count on the commentary afterwards to identify anything of substance and importance um, uh, sparing me uh, the, the uh, drudgery of, <laughs> of listening to 12 politicians drone on um, and basically engage in competitive um, sound bites, not true debate. And, and, and frankly, with questioners that are more interested in gotcha stuff uh, and trying to manufacture controversy rather than eliciting information right. that would permit voters to make a more informed decision. Right. So who's winning? Who's your prediction for winning the the nomination at this point? I have, from the beginning, um, thought that Elizabeth Warren was likely to end up on top. Uh, I think she represents where the center of the Democratic Party is. Um, and while I disagree with virtually everything she stands for, I respect her as someone who has uh, deeply developed um, positions and thought things out. Uh, and she's what Margaret Thatcher called a conviction politician. Um, she's advocating the direction for the country that she believes in and fleshing out in some degree of specifics what that means. I think that's gained her traction on the um, by itself. Uh, and then she's been helped, I think, immeasurably by Biden being caught up in this Ukrainian controversy and Bernie Sanders having a heart attack. What about you? You've been well, watching that race probably more closely than I have. I think you're you're probably right, and she's got the momentum. And uh, I think this, to me, I think the general the generational question is interesting because everyone that's that's competitive on top is at, at least 70, <laughs> seventy years old, and and I think there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, conversations about that. I don't, I don't think being that that age should disqualify you from being president. Maybe we're at the at the time that we're in. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, as uh, you know, can be a transition to to the next generation of leadership and Democrats. But I, I think uh, 
I think Pete Buttigieg has uh, just the way he frames uh, responses to questions uh, is is intriguing to me. I think he kind of can capture um, counterpoints from from Republicans' perspective that other candidates can't, uh, and you know, not try to win the woke battle necessarily, but uh, comes across to me as a straight shooter. I don't think he has a chance to win. I think it'll be. I think the interesting question is who's going to be the the VP pick uh, for Warren, but um, obviously I'm not watching either. But I probably will watch uh, <laughs> watch on tape. But uh, didn't get to participate in the in the uh, the live tweets. But I guess uh, we need John Kennedy asking for the torch to be passed to a new generation. <laughs> probably not this year, but we'll see. Still way early in the race. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is the Political Notebook podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or any other podcasting app. Thank you.